Hi, this is Julie Bindle, and this podcast is about the Emma Humphreys Memorial Prize. And it's a really important prize that's given annually to both an individual and a group, and occasionally an international organisation outside of the UK. And it's important because of who Emma Humphreys was and what she did with her life and what's happened since her tragic death. When I had the call that I'd actually won, I was totally overwhelmed. I actually didn't, you know, all my friends, of course, are gonna go, oh, you, of course you should win. Um, but I could say that about all of the nominees. They're also deserving. You, you'll get a real education and flavor about what is going on in feminism at the moment. And um, it really deepened my understanding of a lot of other issues. Let me tell you a little bit about Emma. In 1990, I co-founded a group, a feminist law reform group, Justice for Women. And we, in the main, campaigned to get justice for women who had responded to male violence, where they had been convicted of murdering their abuser and treated unjustly by the courts. And if you juxtapose that with what happens with many men, particularly back in the 1990s and before, who kill their wives because they claim they were being nagged or because of alleged infidelity. Often these men will get more sympathy from the judge and the jury and be convicted of the lesser offence of manslaughter. So when women who killed to protect themselves, save their own lives, were convicted, justice for women would very often be contacted by these women from prison because they had sympathetic probation officers and they'd seen the publicity about other cases we'd campaigned around and we would get new lawyers for them if they'd already been convicted and they were looking to appeal that sentence and that conviction. And we would also visibly campaign. We would go to see our members of parliament, we'd put posters up all over London and beyond, we'd have public meetings, we'd try to get the general public on board in order to support our case. Emma Humphreys was one of those cases. In 1987, she was convicted of the murder of her pimp boyfriend. She'd been prostituted from a very young age. She'd grown up with domestic abuse from her stepfather to her mother. And she ran away, which is how she got ensnared into prostitution. She was 16 years old when she killed Trevor Armitage when he was threatening yet again to rape her. She was given no sympathy or understanding in the courts. She had an all-male legal team and she was convicted and sentenced to life. She served 10 years in prison altogether. After she'd been in prison for seven years, she contacted us and she was only 24 at the time. And eventually, after three years of campaigning, she walked out from the Court of Appeal free, her conviction for murder having been overturned on the grounds that she had suffered terrible cumulative provocation from violence and abuse all her life, of course, peaking with Trevor Armitage and what he had done to her. Tragically, three years after she walked free, she died of an accidental overdose and we'd got very close to Emma. We'd got to know her, we worked alongside her post-prison 
speaking at feminist events about the abuse of prostitution, about the disgrace of putting abused women in prison. When she died in 1998, we decided to set up a prize in her name. And every year since 1998, we've awarded that prize to a woman or a group that has shown excellence in grassroots campaigning to end male violence in some respect or another. Since 2019, we've been collaborating on the awards with the Centre for Women's Justice, a feminist legal charity. And we now give one Emma Humphreys Memorial Prize and one Emma Humphreys and Centre for Women's Justice Prize to a woman or group who's used the law to hold the state to account for violence against women. So for this podcast, I thought it would be really nice to hear from last year's winners, the prize winners from 2021. The prizes were awarded at the Philia Conference, an annual event, probably the biggest feminist gathering in Europe, maybe the world. The first person you'll hear from is Daisy. Daisy was born of rape and has campaigned for a number of years successfully to be classified as a victim, although her mother clearly was the primary victim of rape. But Daisy did something incredible. She also was instrumental in decades after the offence, getting her mother's rapist, her biological father, convicted of that crime. And the second woman you'll hear from is Natalie Page, who won the Emma Humphreys and Centre for Women's Justice Prize for holding the state to account in terms of the family courts and how men can pursue vindictively, persistently, women through the family courts where there are child access and custody issues. Please, please nominate someone brilliant for the award. You still have until the 19th of September to put in your nomination. You can find the details and download the nomination form from the Emma Humphreys Memorial Prize website. Very easy to find. And and come to the event. You'll find details of the event on that website too. I was shocked and yeah just really proud to be nominated I think as you know Julie I felt very much um marginalized in this campaign I feel like rape conception being born of rape is still very much a taboo subject generally but even within the male violence against women and girls I found it such a taboo subject um so to be recognized last year for the campaigning I've done for several years very kind of um in the background really which is how it's had to be um was just astounding I was really proud to be nominated and with the other fellow nominees as well it was just um really validating as well after the stress of the work being put in and very close to my birth father's trial ending um so yeah it was really overwhelming and really I have to say did really help in terms of my campaign having the award it really highlighted the work I did helped in terms of my crowd justice funding so it's just really helped to spread the word as well so yeah immensely proud. I mean that's really good to hear because when we set the prize up oh my god all those years back Mm. in 1998 shortly after Emma died we didn't know how long the prize would you know live we didn't know 
whether it would have a wider effect on the campaigning work of feminists and it, you know it's done all of that and more and I think what was really yeah. validating for us to be able to kind of choose I'm, I'm a judge on the prize as well as a trustee but to choose winners like yourself is that you've although you did very different you 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 in, in one way worked on different campaigns than did Emma but in another way it's exactly the same kind of thing because you're talking about women who rise up from really difficult adverse situations mm. and do something that actually changes the world the law the perception of violence and the culture so tell us about the actual campaign that you won the award for so my campaign is for children, people conceived, born of rape, to be recognised as victims of that crime, to be deemed victims in terms of support services um, and lifelong support services, but also in terms directly of the criminal justice system. If we find out that we are conceived from rape, that we are deemed victims by the police, any other authorities involved in the case that the crime is recorded which wasn't in my case when I made the report and that evidence that we provide for me it was my DNA and also social care files various conversations information I'd found that that all can contribute to a rape prosecution obviously my birth father was convicted for rape for 11 years it was also very validating not to take away my birth mother's courage and strength and bravery because I felt very much like I had compelled her to come forward my you know my whole ethos isn't about re-traumatizing victims but the system was set up that she had to come forward and I need that to change when there was so much evidence but it was also very validating that the trial judge also stated that he felt I was also a victim of this crime as much as my birth mother. That's really important isn't it because there are so many women I know who, who were very well aware that they were born of rape because they know that their mothers had no choice but to get pregnant, they were yeah. being abused by their um, husband so of course that that means that they were born of rape. And yet the stigma was on the person that actually is the victim. The stigma was on, of course, the mother who had endured this rape and then the child that felt somehow that they had a stain upon themselves that really should yeah. be on the rapist. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that, that's the kind of... That's the awareness raising bit of this campaign that's really important, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I often struggle with why am I having to campaign about this? Why? Why? We know how horrific rape is. Why is it such a stretch for children born from this circumstance to also be impacted? So it, there's still moments every week where I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why is it such a battle? And I think part of the problem is you know, it's a nuanced subject. You have to hold both positions. We're not talking about abortion. We're not talking about pre-birth. We're talking about born children out in this world impacted by what's been happened, what's happened. And you have to really be able to grasp the positions of the mother and the child, and that's nuanced and complex. But these are two individuals out in the world. The fact that children born of rape 
are not even considered is astounding to me. I'm a social worker. We have to make children the focus of safeguarding and protection. But in this circumstance, it's almost like we are a product. We're a byproduct that doesn't really need to exist. Um, and we come up in the discussion about rape, you know, Roe versus Wade. I'd put on, I'd posted on Twitter a response to a woman who was thankful to her grandmother for taking her for a termination when she was 12. My birth mother was 13 when she was raped and became pregnant. I sent a response saying, I really wish my own birth mother had had that opportunity, someone in her network who could have done that with her. The vitriol I got for that, I mean, I got a lot of support. I got 23,000 likes, normally only get a lot with my dog featured. Um, but with <laughs> really about to make Teddy the face of rape conception because it was getting a bit sick. <laughs> little bandana but um a huge amount of support but that was my first first experience of being trolled and it was why don't you kill yourself what you prefer not to exist why don't you do what you thought she should have done and kill yourself and it's like come and you're pro-life no no oh dear god I mean these pro-life people they really confuse me because you know if you take a, a state like Florida for example where they have the death penalty for serious crime. And yet they drive around with pro-death penalty stickers on their cars and anti-abortion stickers, and they call themselves pro-life. And I remember talking to, to one guy at... Um, I, I was out there doing research on, on death row, and I remember saying, how does this compute? And he says, well, of course, babies are innocent and murderers aren't. And I said, but you also spout from the Old Testament a life for a life and... How, how does this work out? It's just it's just vengeance and controlling women, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely nothing more to it than that. Um, and that's so, obviously, I got the awful stuff, but I got, you know, you have to remember when you're on social media, remember the positives and actually people really understanding that. And, you know, you had the complication of adoption and what that means in terms of trauma as well. Um, but I think there is a real lack of understanding about the impact, about the social impact, about the neuro neurology of unborn children, intergenerational trauma, um, attachment for mothers and children once the baby's been born. It's so complex and like I said I'm adopted as well so factoring in the psychological impact of adoption which is trauma it's a practice of loss and trauma um and pack onto that the taboo of rape conception the shame society wants you to carry and also to be quiet about it um it's been hugely hugely difficult what has been fantastic is with some of the donations from crowd justice is that we requested durham university to do a literature review which again just really highlighted how it's an area that has had little little input in terms of even um rape conception within war zones let alone people like me who it's not in terms of a war zone it's been a social situation where police and social workers have been involved but it is people I work with they will stay down say to me I'm much more aware of those cases now I'm thinking about differently historically um 
much more thinking, particularly around adoption and talking to children. I'm hoping I'm hoping to work with somebody around resources for talking to children in terms of adoption, foster care, um, because it, there's just not enough done. There's not enough done, and it impacts far more people than we could imagine. I remember giving the article that we did together, the interview I did with you for the newspaper, to. Um, some women in Kenya, in rural Kenya, in the Samburu Desert, I went to do a story about a women-only village. They basically escaped the villages where girls were being uh, forcibly married as children, FGM was widespread, raping marriage yeah. and, and the like. Um, and it was an incredible um, situation where women who had nothing had just decided to fight back and protect the girls and themselves and some of the the women spoke English and we had a conversation about the stigma of children born through rape because of course those women were also raped by British soldiers stationed in Kenya white soldiers so there were mixed-race children that were clearly very visibly born of rape and born yeah. outside of the community and, and of marriage. And those women were so impressed with the fact that you'd spoken out publicly about it. And I've been meaning to tell you this story for such a long time. But the village is called Emoja, and mm. it's, it's just such an incredible place. But those women were going to tell the story of your campaign to the women that, that didn't speak English. And, and so you've made a difference. So tell me what it was like when you realised that you'd actually won the Emma Humphreys Memorial Prize. Um, when I had the call that I'd actually won, I was totally overwhelmed. I actually didn't, you know, all my friends, of course, are going to go, oh, you, of course you should win. Um, but I could say that about all of the nominees. They're also deserving. And I think there is something around rape conception, around... I know for me, feeling worthy enough, because it is so taboo, it's so quiet, I'm not deemed a victim, so it's almost like, who do you think you are? These Some of these people have actually been directly victimised in the way we all understand. So it was really overwhelming, really validating, a really proud moment. And I think the reason I'm campaigning is about there's got to be something decent that's come out of all of this harm in within my family. The shame, the harm, the secrecy, the violence, the intergenerational trauma, there's got to be something decent there really has that comes out of this. Um, and knowing other people conceived them the way I was, I know it's not just me. I know how many people, you know, I get a sense of how people are impacted and, you know, it's a struggle. It's a real struggle. And to find other like-minded people, we all know is so liberating, really validating for people. Um, so the fact that that's helped put the message out, people have come back to me, thanked me, or it's just got a conversation going has just been fantastic. So final question, what does feminism mean to you? Knowing that you're united um, with women all over the world that are doing this work. It means to me hope, which, you know, God, really difficult to have hope, but 
and people who know me would say I am a cynic and I am but I've always had to keep a sense of hope that I'm going to be successful and it's the same thing with kind of the feminist movement the world over we know how difficult it is for women and girls um all sorts of things wider politically um but the fact that you know we in the ward you hear other people's stories that kind of feeling of solidarity you know other people get what you're doing even if they campaign on other things I get what you're doing I support you um gives a real hope of change and that even the smallest voice this has just been me on my own I've not had a whole team of people researching um until the case got big and obviously Centre for Women's Justice who are amazing got on board but really it's been a really solitary journey and when you hear other stories and you for example in times when you hear about the awards and you get feedback and you get feedback from radio interviews or things it really does give you that extra strength you know other women know what it's like to go through this struggle and this fight and it is a fight and it takes a lot out of you and you have to sacrifice a lot um but seeing other women and what they're doing as well in terms of campaigning does keep me going and that's what's really important about it isn't it the prize yeah. reached, you know, the, the, the prize has united so many women doing this work together and put them in one room or put them together in a way that inspires others. So I want to thank you for the work that you do, Daisy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the recognition, honestly. I really do appreciate it. So I'm Natalie Page and I founded Hashtag The Court Said, um, which is a campaign set up to um, address the mishandling of domestic abuse in the justice system, in particular in the family court. Um, I then went on to um, found an organization called Survivor Family Network. Um, we've been featured in the news quite a lot, um, particularly in regard to our work with um, around surrounding um, unregulated experts in the family court. Um, we work primarily um, with domestic abuse survivors, um, specifically mothers, um, who are going through the family courts after domestic abuse. Tell me how you see this work in connection to feminism and in particular in the campaigns to end male violence. Yeah, th this is very much um, a feminist issue. Um, violence against women is one of the most pressing feminist issues um, around. Um, you know, this is, it is a huge, huge problem, um, particularly um, violence in the home, domestic abuse, um, that affects primarily women and children. Um, so it's a feminist issue as well, because um, the ideology that is present in the court system, uh, when women are reporting domestic abuse, um, they are quite often, um, I'd say in about 80 to 90% of cases, when they're giving evidence about domestic abuse, they are counter-alleged to be alienating. Um, the father who may have perpetrated a pattern of um, coercive control or violence. Um, and what happens is that the, the claims, the counter allegations of parental alienation take priority over um, any evidence of domestic abuse. And women are then um, 
removed from their children's lives because of a misogynistic ideology um, that's frequently weaponized against them in the courtroom. What happened then when you heard that you'd won the prize? Do you remember where you were? Um, I do, yeah. I, I was um, at work, as usual, <laughs> um, in, in my office, and I got a phone call to say that um, I had won, but I couldn't tell anybody. Um, so that was quite a hard secret to keep <laughs> for a little while. And then um, I accepted the award at the Filia conference, which was so lovely because I've been doing this work all throughout the pandemic and obviously you're just stuck behind a computer screen the whole time so it was amazing to be in a room full of people and then to accept that award. What did you think of the other nominees and the work that they were doing? So I, I didn't in a million years think that I would I would actually um, win the award um, because I was just bowled over by the their amazing, absolutely stellar work. So has it made a difference to your work? Has it impressed funders or or any partners? What difference has it made? I think it add, added some credibility um, to the work that I do. Obviously, the work that I do is quite often I'm unpicking ideology. So you're dealing with quite a lot of people's opinions <laughs> about stuff. And, um, you know, because the justice system is so secret and it's all behind closed doors, I think some people thought that I might be a conspiracy theorist or, you know, or not very credible. So it really added a lot of credibility to what I was saying. It certainly helped um, with us um, dealing with the media um, and also um, with funders as well, and it allowed us to um, to build our capacity and expand our projects. Um, and you know, like the the prize money helped us upgrade technology and um, really helped us sort of level up what we were doing. So, for those listening to this and are considering whether they should go to the event this year. Um, Give them a little taster of what the prize giving event was like and why they should go along and spend the evening with the next round of nominees. The prize giving um, was brilliant because it it gave a really good insight into the other, into the work that was going on with all the nominees. So if you wanted to have a look around modern feminism, and what the most pressing issues are and what work is being done, um, then I would say that this, um, this ceremony is a, is a great place to start, um, you know, because you, you'll get a real education and flavour about what is going on in feminism at the moment. And um, it really deepened my understanding of a lot of other issues, which um, I was really grateful about. And, and it sort of helps you see how your feminism is also fitting in into this wider goal of, of women's liberation and how it's all done with um, incremental steps in lots of different movements. And I think that's a really useful, useful thing to, to learn about. I hope that that was inspiring, listening to those two fantastic women. The reason why we have concentrated on grassroots activism and violence against women is because that's what Emma did. So it's in her name. And it's also, of course, what keeps the feminist movement thriving. I hope we see you at the 
event this year. I hope that you might be able to nominate someone worthy of one of these prizes. Please keep in touch.